Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the St Albans Five Docs Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they left off, and, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Okay. So the story of Babel is a story about fragmentation, fracturing, and scattering. That's what the story is about. It's a, a story that's really carefully constructed. It begins with a people with one language and ends with confused languages. It begins with one group of people and ends with scattered tribes. And it begins with what looks like humanity in harmony. They're united in their ambition at the beginning of the story. So verse 4, come with us, build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. One commentator sums up what's going on here. What we have here, this commentator says, is an account in which all the God-given abilities of human beings are deliberately focused on creating a society where God is redundant. The inhabitants of this human city view the creator as irrelevant. So the people of the story were united in their framing God out of the picture. They thought that if they framed God out of the picture, it would keep them together. But if you count the creator as irrelevant and redundant, then the words of the poet Yeats come to relevance. He says, things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Me, anarchy is loosed upon the earth. And with God out of the picture, that's exactly what happens. The judgment of God is intrinsic to their actions. Taking God out of the picture, the social fabric falls apart. It's a futile way of living, and it only disintegrates society. So verse 8, the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth. There the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over all the face of the earth. The point of the Tower of Babel is not just that it happened. The point of this small story is that it happens, and it happens, and it happens again. This is the shape of human society east of Eden. Fragmentation, 
fracturing and scattering. And so in some very recent research, Australian research, we we see something very similar to what's happening in the story of Babel. Our society exhibits a degree of connectedness, digital connectedness, but it's covering a profound fracturedness. So the report opens like this. Ours is perhaps the most socially connected generation in history. However, the paradox is that many Australians experience profound loneliness. A survey commissioned by Telstra of over 3,000 people in September 2021 indicated that nearly one in four Australians say they don't have people they can regularly talk with or turn to, while 30% say they never or rarely feel close to people. The paper is focused on young adults, and it found that nearly twice as many adolescents reported high loneliness, high levels of loneliness, in 2018 compared to 2012. Double the, the, uh, the numbers in six years. The conclude reports, loneliness, loneliness, which is the ultimate experience of societal fragmentation and fracturedness, loneliness may well prove to be the most serious pandemic of our time. Well, thanks be to God that Genesis 12, Genesis 12 follows after the story of Babel. And so begins the story of God through Abraham mending that which has been fractured. So begins the story of God gathering that which has been scattered. And what's at the heart of God's plan of gathering and mending what's been fractured? What's at the heart of God's plan to do this? Well, it's the church. And so begins our six weeks exploring the doctrine of the church from all sorts of angles. Next week, we're going to look at the church as a community of grace in a world of affinity. And the week after that, we're going to look at the church as a community of orthodoxy in a world of self-expression. And following after that, it's a community of mutual devotion in a world of independence. And then after that, we're going to look at the church as being a community of purpose in a world of distraction. And then finally, after that, we're going to look at the church as being a community of hope in a world of fear. So that's where we're going over the next six weeks. And what will inevitably come through in this series is how countercultural and strange this community is that's gathered in the name of Jesus in comparison to the Babel-like world around us. And as this community of grace and orthodoxy and mutual devotion and purpose and hope that is at the very heart of what God is doing in the world. As Eugene Peterson quite beautifully puts it, he paraphrases um, Ephesians 1.23 like this. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. That's where we're going today. So we're starting the series by asking the question, what is church? And then why the church? Why bother with church? So what is the church? So Ephesians chapter 1, which is in the service sheets, is so often read individually. These are the blessings that I, I have in Christ. I have every spiritual blessing. I'm chosen. I'm holy and blameless. I'm adopted. I'm soaked in grace. Verse 6. I've been redeemed. I'm forgiven. And though it's true that you and I individually have these things, it's actually secondary, the fact that you and I have these things. What's primary in this passage is that we have these blessings. 
We have these blessings in a world of isolation where social ties are are weak, if not disintegrating. These blessings are the ties that bind us, the church, together. But I want to land on verses 9 and 10. So look at verse 9 and 10. God has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time. So what's God's plan for the fullness of time? Here it is. To gather up all things in Jesus, in him, things in heaven and things on earth. These are such significant verses. Where is history going? Is history going anywhere? Is history going anywhere? Shakespeare's Macbeth says famously, history is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. That's Macbeth. Or Bertrand Russell, the famous mathematician, says, all the labours of the ages, all the devotion, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. Is that where history is going? According to Macbeth and Bertrand Russell, history is going nowhere. But according to verses 9 and 10, they've got it completely wrong. History is moving somewhere. God has made known to us the mystery of his will to gather up or to sum up or to unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. History is heading to the unity of all things under Christ Jesus. So let me try to explain. Because sin came in, now everything falls apart. Because sin came in, now everything falls apart. What is war? What is violent crime? What is racism? It's people who should be together at one another's throats. Societies are fragmenting, as per the Bible story. Things that should be one are coming apart. What's disease? What's death? It's our bodies failing us. It's our bodies falling apart. And that eventually happens to us all. The parts of our body unravel. But God in Christ is someday going to bring us to a place where all those things are brought together again forever. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more death, no more disease, no more injustice. This is the purpose of God. History is heading to where all things are brought together under Christ Jesus. That's where history is heading. And this is where the church fits in. This is where the church fits in. It is the one place in all the world where this is already happening now. The life of the church here and now is an expression ahead of time of the unity of all things in Jesus. One commentator puts it like this, the church appears to be God's pilot scheme for the reconciled universe of the future. Okay, so just as the Australian embassy in London is considered a part of Australian sovereign territory in a foreign land, so the local church is a part of the heavenly territory in the world. Now, I'm really trying to emphasize this because it's so incredibly not what we assume. 
If we imbibe the assumptions of our culture, which we all do to some degree, then we'll believe that the church, us, is peripheral to the world. It's something like a hobby or a special interest for those who are so inclined. But this chapter in Ephesians and verses 9 to 10 are suggesting that it's the exact opposite. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is at the centre of what God is doing in the world to bring together that which is coming apart under Jesus. That's what's happening amongst us. Our lives are coming together under Jesus. We're ordering ourselves under Christ. It's what will happen in, in the future. And it's happening here now. This is what God is doing in the world, bringing different people together under Christ. So that's what the church is. Why the church? Why bother with church? The smartphone in your pocket can do many of the functions of church better than almost any congregation in history. The app you probably got on your phone, YouTube, can allow you to watch the best Christian teachers around the world whenever you want. Spotify lets you listen to the praise music you like singing to instead of the praise music everyone else likes singing to or some other people like singing to. There's an app for sharing prayer points and sharing lives. There's an app for that. So why church? So the chapter continues from verse 15 with a prayer. And it's one of those glorious Pauline prayers. It's dense and it's Jesus-centered and it's the type of prayer that we should spend our time on, but not today. We're going to jump right to the end of the prayer. From verse 19, Paul prays that the church in Ephesus will have the eyes to see the incomparably great power at work in them. So it's the same power that rose Jesus from the dead and put him at the right hand of God. That power is in the church in Ephesus. And then he concludes in verse 22. In verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything. Blink and you'll miss it. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As I said... You'll blink and you'll miss that simple preposition for. God has given Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the world's king, the world's ruler, the world's Lord. And the focus of all that power and authority is on the church. The purpose of his rule is for the church. That the church around the world won't only survive, but it will thrive. That we in the inner west, which is sometimes I find one of the most spiritually abrasive places to live, that we won't just survive as Christians in the inner west, but he will use his power so that we flourish as Christians in the inner west. That he, as the Lord of all things, will use his power and authority to work all things for good for his people. So why bother with church? Well, the first and simple answer that that prayer might suggest is that it's the focus of Jesus' power and love, so make it somewhat your focus as well. But I'm not going to land there. I want to focus on verse 23. God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, verse 23, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who feels everything in every way. So when the New Testament talks about the church, it's always in ways that relate the church, our body of believers, that relate it in the closest possible way to Jesus. In all the metaphors that it uses, it's always relating the church in the closest possible way to Jesus. So Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. We share the same life flow. We're the same plant. It's the closest possible relation to Jesus without, without actually saying that we are Jesus. The church is Jesus. And it's the same with the church as the bride of Christ. We're united to Christ in the same way that a married couple is one economically and legally. Again, it's the closest possible relation to Jesus without actually saying that the church is Jesus. And of course, this is all most striking in verse 23. The church, which is Jesus' body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Because the church is as closely related to Jesus as a physical body is to its head, I'm going to make a bold claim. You can't come to Christ, you can't serve Jesus without coming to his body, his people, and without serving his people. Being formed together into one body gives us an obligation. We belong to the rest of the body. It's impossible to be in Christ and not to belong to others. A Christian, by definition, has a connection with and a responsibility to other Christians. You can't claim Christ and avoid his people. If God is your father, then his people are your family. Church is therefore not a meeting you attend. It's a body you belong to. I want to be quick to say that there will be unavoidable reasons why some Christians are unable to come to church for a while. There are those who are physically frail or recovering from psychological trauma. That might mean time in larger groups is especially difficult. Now, there might be family circumstances or emergencies that call us away for a while. But these are exceptions. If you harden your heart to the needs of God's people around you, you effectively close your heart to Christ. But the reverse is also wonderfully true. When you do take God's people seriously and commit to them, serve and love them, Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done to me. So I want you to imagine a scenario. In the past, you've felt the joys of church. But now you're finding loving and serving Jesus' body is hard work. You're tired, you're drained or hurt, or maybe someone's taken advantage of you. And you're at the point of wanting to say to Jesus, I hate your body. I was speaking to a, a retired minister about a week ago, a week and a half ago, and since retiring, He's stopped going to church. He's had enough of church. And if you did say that to Jesus, 
I could imagine Jesus pausing and looking at you with a gentle gaze and responding, I love my body. I really love my body. That's the answer to why the church. So the church, it's a small part of heavenly territory in the world. In a world that's falling apart, it's the one place in the world where things are coming together under Jesus, where things are being ordered under Jesus ahead of time, before that happens around the world in all things. And finally, Jesus, uh, the church is the body of Jesus. But on the surface of things, when you look at church, what you'll see is a bunch of broken, slightly mismatched people together trying to bash out a church meeting, which can sometimes be too obviously a product of our collective talents and limitations. The music may or may not be to your taste. The preaching may or may not connect with you. There will be a restless toddler whose name is Leon challenging your powers of concentration and people's sanity. That's on Sunday. And during the week, you bump into someone from church, but it was rushed and slightly awkward because you had to get somewhere quick. And your fellowship group might occasionally be buzzing, but this week it was pretty low energy. And again, when it came to prayer, you forgot what the person next to you asked you to pray about. Now, this is all a pretty unflattering description of what the church is because on the surface, church can be pretty unimpressive. But one of the aims of this series of sermons is for you to have the eyes of your heart opened to truly see the church. Because to see the church properly requires spiritual sight. It requires us to see in the very ordinary earthly reality something quite spectacular. In and amongst us, truly the most amazing thing is happening. We're coming together under Christ. We're together learning to do something that isn't instinctive for us. We're learning to love each other with genuine love, other person-centered love. And we're learning to forgive each other, even though that's really hard to do and it's much easier to avoid that person. We're learning to persevere with each other week in, week out. And we're learning to pray for each other, maybe when we're not with each other. Now, that's a really strange thing, to pray for someone when you're not with them. And most of all, we're learning to love Jesus together, to sing the praises of the one who gave himself for us. Because to truly see the church, to truly see the church, you've got to see Jesus, the one under whom our life is being ordered, the one who is bringing us together. To truly see the church, you've got to see Jesus. When we're drawn closer to Jesus, we're inevitably brought closer to each other. I won't ask you to do this, but if I was, asked, if I was to ask you to stand right now and take a step towards me, what would you find? You'd find that you're brought slightly closer together. As we're drawn closer to him, we're brought closer together. This is what God is doing in the world. He's uniting all things under Jesus. 
Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that your power and authority is focused on us, your people, whom you love. Please, we pray, help us love each other. Help us bear with and forgive and put ourselves out of the way for each other. Not only because that's what you've done for us, but because that's what life under you looks like. That's what it involves. And we pray that we, in Five Dock and wherever we live, that we might be a taste of the future in the present. Father, please fill us up with your spirit so that people sense that something here is real and different and something I want in on. We pray that that is a result of your spirit's work amongst us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.